Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What's up, everybody? How's it going? Welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. Today's episode number 30 follows a very much expected loss to the New England Patriots. And believe it or not, this loss at home in our own building to our least favorite team was actually an upgrade from last week against the Buffalo Bills. No, we didn't have our savior Sam Darnold back for this one, but the team actually made the game close for almost three quarters. The defense was just strong enough early on to keep the Patriots in that jet scoring range of about 7-13 to 13 points, and then once the Patriots broke past that late in the third, that's all she wrote. And while the team and player performances of that game will take up a bulk of this episode, there is still so much more on the way. I'm talking about a weekly check-in of the AFC East. We've got some news and notes around the NFL. A What's on Tap? Flavor Blast Edition! And a preview of next week's game against the Titans. And in my recent spirit of looking ahead to the 2019 season, I've even got a few more upcoming free agents around the league that the Jets' front office, whoever that will be, may very well be keeping a close eye on. But before I begin with all of that, I would like to invite all of you to both rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to this show. Remember, with the recent move to gangreennation.com, this show now falls under the title Gangreen Nation Podcast, and all of my episodes are titled This Is The Jet Life, Week Whatever, Something Topical, and Off Funny. The other episodes in the Gangreen Nation podcast channel are hosted by the coolest guy around, Michael Nania, so make sure you give his shows a listen too if you crave more Jets insight and conversation. If you're on social media, follow me at Jets underscore Dan for bonus coverage throughout the week when I have random Jets-related thoughts. Quick update there, I now have over 100 fans or followers, whatever they're called. That's right, triple digits. This thing is taking leaps forward. Big success. So yeah, if you're into that, at Jets underscore Dan on Twitter. I'm no longer talking to nobody, so follow that if you're into it, and feel free to engage constructively. All right, then, let's get this football rolling. And we'll begin that with a check-in of the AFC East, as we always do. This week, the Jets played a division rival, the New England Patriots, for the first time this season. This being the home edition, the Jets playing at MetLife. They came into this game with a 3-7 and record, last place in the AFC East, tied with the Bills, but technically in last. And the Patriots came into this one with a firm grasp of first place, 7-3. and three. Patriots leave this one 8-3. and three. The Jets leave 3-8. and eight. Jets still in last. Patriots still in first. And the Patriots now hold a three-game lead over the Miami Dolphins, who played against the Indianapolis Colts. Both teams with a 5-5 five five record, trying to make it into the playoffs, trying to get right into that uh, that bubble. 6-5 and five right now is a playoff record. Not all 6-5 and five teams are scheduled to make the playoffs if it ended today but some of them would. Um, This was a super important game for both teams. And in this one, the Dolphins lose. Ryan Tannehill comes back, tried to get it done against the Indianapolis Colts, but Andrew Luck was too much for them, and at the end of the game, Adam Vinatieri kicks a game-winning field goal to win this one 27-24 to put the Dolphins with a losing record at 5-6. Kind of out of the playoff picture right now. I mean, they're definitely still in it, but they're a couple steps back behind the other guys. The Colts catapult into it. They're off to a hot hot little uh, run here, and they're basically... You know, just a, a technicality keeping them from the playoffs. They're in that seven spot right now behind the Ravens, who have a better conference record by one game as of right now. We'll see what happens as the season plays out. Uh, the Colts are on a hot streak. They're one of the better teams in the AFC right now, and it's interesting because the Jets beat them, and 
Not that it's a big deal or anything, but when it's all said and done, the teams the Jets have beat this year out of those three wins, they were the uh, the Lions, not a great team, not terrible, the Broncos, who have been somewhat hot recently, and the Colts, who have been really hot recently. So it's not a bunch of terrible teams that the Jets have been beating. It's not a bunch of, well, we beat the 49ers and the Raiders and the Cardinals when we played them. No, it's not bottom-bottom tier teams. It's all teams that are better than the Jets, better records, games that technically those teams thought they should have beaten us. But we beat them, so maybe gives us a little bit more merit on those wins. But still, 3-8, and eight, terrible last place. And the other team is the Buffalo Bills. And the Buffalo Bills came into this game 3-7, and seven, playing against the Jaguars. And Josh Allen returns in this game. And he leads a game-winning drive at the end. He gets a 14-yard uh, touchdown run to put the Bills up in this game. They win this thing 24-21. to The Jacksonville Jaguars lose. And the Bills have a game lead over the New York Jets, putting them in third place at 4-7. and seven. And that's what you got the AFC East. The Bills are out. The Jets are out. The Dolphins still think they have a chance, but they don't. And uh, the Patriots are probably going to end up the one seed in this whole thing. But a cool segue into this NFL news and notes that I'm going to do now is that Jacksonville Jaguar storyline. Because with the Bills beating them there, um, this was a game that the Bills obviously were probably expected to lose. The Bills have been pretty bad all season long. Even though Josh Allen's coming back, uh, the Jaguars were one of those teams that was supposed to be good. The Bills were one of those teams that was supposed to be bad. The Jaguars have underperformed all season long, and nobody knows why. They're supposed to have basically the same defense as last year, which was like the best in the league, and now it's just playing not very well at all. Blake Bortles got that big contract. They gave him a chance to try to prove himself as the quarterback, gave him an extension, a little bit more money than he would have made under the fifth year of his rookie deal. Put a little bit of put some of the eggs in his basket, and he's playing terribly. And with this loss, all hell is breaking loose in Jacksonville. And it's nice to focus on these teams because they take away the storylines around the New York Jets. Yeah, we're 3-8, three and uh, three and eight, and it's not great, but at least it's not like a, a bunch of chaos. You know, Sam Darnold's just sitting on the bench quietly. Nobody's saying much except for Jamal Adams. Other than that, pretty content locker room. They're just happy losing. The Jaguars, on the other hand, they are losing their shit. They got people getting in fights. Leonard Fournette going across the field, 60 yards, trying to fight freaking Lawson of the uh, Buffalo Bills. You've got Blake Bortles getting benched. you got Tom Coughlin's and his bunch of issues with penalties on the field and players and effort and this and that. And there's been all sorts of issues in the locker room. Jalen Ramsey talking a bunch of trash before the year and then not backing it up this year at all. Jalen Ramsey is having a much worse year this year than he did last year. They're not getting any pressure on quarterbacks. And it's just, it's just a dumpster fire. And it's Jacksonville, and it's not a great NFL fan base. No offense, Jacksonville. It's just kind of uh, one of those teams, but they were finally making their little bit of a push, finally getting to that you know playoff team last year, winning a game, and then they bring it into this year with almost the same roster, and they can't get Jack-ish done. It's a mess. The Jaguars are a big storyline within the NFL right now because people like to focus on how how awful it is. It's just really pathetic. Blake Bortles, I don't know what he's going to do. He's not going to be the quarterback of the Jaguars next year. They're going to be making a bunch of changes. Tom Coughlin's probably going to fire Doug Marone, the head coach. They've already fired their offensive coordinator, Nathan Hackett, and everyone's just pointing the finger, blaming him, blaming him. Whose fault is it? Blake Bortles at this point has gotten like three offensive coordinators fired, so how many more chances can you give that guy? He's got a contract. They're not going to be able to, they're not going to have to pay him all of it because it's not fully guaranteed contract, so definitely his last year, $19 million or so, he's not going to be receiving but they're still going to be a little tied to him, trying to trade him for next year with a contract that nobody's going to want. Is he going to be a, a way overpaid backup? How's Cody Kessler going to perform? He's probably not the answer either. 
And the Jets used to be in this. They used to be searching for a quarterback, going through their Geno Smiths and their Mark Sanchez's. And, yeah, Blake Bortles was probably better than both of them, probably lasted a little bit longer than either of them as well. But the Jaguars are right back in it, searching for their quarterback. They're going to be going into next year's draft and everything, trying to make some moves. So it's possible that if they like a guy well enough and the Jets are up there in that top five spot and nobody's taken a quarterback yet, who knows? Maybe the New York Jets are willing to trade back and the Jaguars are one of those teams that's trying to get up there to get a pick. But, uh, you know, they're not going to be too far behind the Jets at this point with a 3-7 and seven record. They are technically behind us right now because they beat us. But that's what's going on there. It's a mess. Whatever. Uh, more news. More notes. Reuben Foster was a first-round pick by the 49ers, and he was kind of a head case. Kind of a crazy dude coming in. Had a wild uh, training camp, or, or it was like a combine scouting team meeting beforehand, before the draft. He, he was like went crazy and left and stormed out of the meeting. Everyone was like, oh, this might be a red flag. This guy's kind of nuts. But they drafted him anyway, and the 49ers thought he was going to be the guy for the future. He just got cut for domestic violence charges. The guy is still crazy, and the Redskins actually picked him up, believe it or not. He's a guy that the Jets were looking at, in my opinion, when the Jets uh, were drafting that year a few years ago. Reuben Foster's one of the guys on our board for the first-round pick. You know, he's a guy that very physical concussions could have been an issue the way he was tackling and playing, a lot of penalties and things like that, but aggressive and played big. Um, he's never really gotten it together. He's proven to be a head case and be an issue. I'm surprised the Redskins pick him up, but the Redskins, I think that they're a poorly managed team, poorly coached, and they make bad decisions like this all the time. So if any team was going to pick him up, not surprised that it's them. That's stuff with Reuben Foster. Uh, around the rest of the NFL, I guess the big news really going on right now, this is the fun time of year in the NFL. And the Jets are not a part of it, which is a total bummer, but the playoff picture starts to kind of come alive. You've got five weeks left in the season, and you're really starting to look at the remaining schedules of these teams and, you know, who's here, who's there, who's going to make the playoffs, what do you have to do to make it there, what games are must-wins for teams, what's your, you know, what's your route to get in the first seed, the second seed, whatever it may be. So I'm just going to touch on that real quick. Even though the Jets aren't involved in it, it's still worth knowing because we are a part of this NFL, and these are the teams that are having the success we wish we had. So the AFC portion of the old thing, since that's our side, your number one seed, this is all just going to be as if the season ended today because that's all we can go off right now. I'm not going to do the entire remaining schedule of every one of these teams because it doesn't really pertain to the Jets. I'm just going to go over it briefly just because it's good news and notes to go over. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs right now are number one seed, 9-2, and two, followed by the New England Patriots, who are 8-3. and three. Same record as the Texans at 8-3, and three, but the Patriots beat them. So the Patriots have that two spot, which technically right now, if the season ended, the Patriots would have another first-round bye. Let's try to get them out of there. The Jets play them one more time. We're going to have one more shot, try to get a loss on their record, but it's going to be great to see the Patriots lose any week they can for the remaining five weeks to get knocked out of that spot. There are some teams close on their heels. Uh, the, te the Texans are 8-3, and three, same record. Um, the Steelers are 7-3-1, so a half game back. The Chargers, they're 8-3, and three, which technically is the same record, and maybe they would have a technical advantage over the Patriots, but the Chiefs are in that division, so that puts the Chargers at a wild card, even though their record is better than the Steelers. Your other wild card team would be the Baltimore Ravens at 6-5, and five. so there are no seven-win seven teams other than the Steelers in there. Your wild card is the Chargers firmly there at 8-3, and three, followed by your sixth team, the Baltimore Ravens, 6-5. and five. Your Indianapolis Colts now six and five, and then the Miami Dolphins they're five and six. The Bengals are five and six. Andy Dalton's not going to play again for the rest of the year, I don't think. So who knows what's going to go on over there? The Denver Broncos are on a bit of a hot streak, so with five and six, they do technically have a chance and a, a way to get into the playoffs. And the Tennessee Titans, the New York Jets, play this week. They're a team that's trying to get back on track and uh, try to do something against us. On the NFC side of things, the New Orleans Saints are in first place with a ten and one record, followed by the Charge. Uh, 
the Los Angeles Rams, who are 10-1, and and the Saints have that, uh, that number one spot because they did beat the Rams earlier this year. The number three team is the Chicago Bears, 8-3. and three. And your AFC East winner right now would be the Dallas Cowboys, so they'd have the four seed. Then your wild cards would be the Minnesota Vikings at 6-4-1, and one, and the Washington Redskins at 6-5. and five. Other teams that are 6-5 and five in the NFC are the Seattle Seahawks and the Carolina Panthers, so they're trying to move up into that wild card spot. And the Philadelphia Eagles are, you know, that 5-6 and six team that hopefully can get on a bit of a roll. Maybe they can win the NFC East because it's been such a mess so far this year, and the Cowboys leading that thing right now with a record of 6-5 and five is not that scary. The Eagles are only one game back. And the Packers, 4-6-1. and one. How crazy is that? They're kind of out of it, to be honest. Um, so that's who's at the top looking at the playoffs right now. Now the interesting thing is the other side of the league where the Jets are involved. And this in relation to the New York Jets version of the playoffs, better known as the NFL Draft. Jets are currently in that number four spot. If the season ended today, they would be drafting fourth overall. The Jets have a 3-8 and eight record, and there are three teams that have a worse record than the Jets. Three teams have two wins. Those teams are the Oakland Raiders, the San Francisco 49ers, and the Arizona Cardinals. The Jets have three wins, and that puts them at fourth place. There are a few other teams that have three wins, the New York Giants, the Jacksonville Jaguars. But the Jets have the, I guess, the tiebreaker for being the worst. Jets did lose to the Jaguars, and they lose the uh, the spot to the Giants for whichever reason, strength of schedule most likely, and they would be the fourth team right now. Now, there are going to be some of these teams. Um, some of these teams don't really have a reason to win another game. You know, the Raiders, you look at their schedule, tough for the rest of the year. Um, I mean, these teams, the Cardinals and the 49ers, they're some of the worst teams in the league. I mean, they are the worst teams in the league, and they don't win for a reason. It's hard to see them winning any of these games. But as everybody says, any given Sunday in the NFL, who knows if they can get a win and if that puts them ahead of the Jets. Now, the other teams, um, you know, the Giants, the Jaguars. The Jaguars are tied with us. Giants, strength schedule. It's going to be close. Those are teams to watch. I mean, I'm not going to root for the Jets to lose any of these games. If it was up to me, the Jets would end the season 8-8 eight and eight and not make the playoffs because I'm watching the rest of the season and I want to watch them win. I want to see success in these guys. I want to believe that the players that we've drafted and picked up and signed on this and that are good, successful players that can make this team win. Um, I want positivity around the franchise. Get these guys feeling a little bit better about it. Make it a more attractive destination of free agents and coaches and everything else. But I understand that's probably not what's going to happen. The Jets may win one game against the Bills, maybe none. If the Jets lose to the Bills, or if the Jets beat the Bills, rather, the Bills will have the same record as the Jets, and there won't be a tiebreaker um, in respect to the two teams because they both will have won against each other. So I'm not sure who's going to have you know, the spot there. And uh, really just going to follow and see how this thing plays out week by week, see where the Jets are, who won, who lost. Jets are fourth right now. It's looking, the Jets are definitely basically going to be a top 10 draft pick. Uh, right now, it's looking like it's very possible they're going to be a top five draft pick, maybe in that five, six range. It feels like in my lifetime in the past five, six years, it feels like they're always drafting sixth overall for whatever reason. Maybe they'll be sixth again this year. But as we get there, there's going to be a ton of players the Jets can be looking at. And in my philosophy for this year, there are so many needs on this New York Jets team. Very likely the Jets trade back in this draft if they have an early pick, if they have an opportunity to get back. Um, a team really wants to move up to get a quarterback or one of these edge rushers or defensive linemen. Jets don't need it quite as badly as they do. Maybe we move back, we take a couple more positions, some wide receivers, offensive linemen, some things to help Sam Darnold on the offense and our new offensive coordinator and get that ship going in the right direction because our defense, we put a lot of assets and money and, and effort into getting that thing right. 
it's pretty good right now, but still we're losing a ton of those pieces next year, and it's not as strong a unit as we'd like it to be. We're probably going to have a whole new defensive coordinator, a whole new defensive and uh, and a head coach. So we're going to see how that plays into things. There's a very good chance to just get a new head coach, and they run a 4-3 next year rather than a 3-4. This whole thing could be different. We'll see what happens with that whole thing. I think for the most part, that's what I got for this week's edition of News and Notes from the NFL and our AFC East check-in. Not a ton going on. The, the trade deadline has passed. Le'Veon Bell's already slated to not play for the rest of the year. Uh, teams are focused on the playoffs right now. It's kind of a serious time of the year where everyone's kind of buckling down, focusing on what they need to do, and then those teams at the bottom, like the Jaguars and the Jets or whatever, and the Giants, there's still messes going on there within the organization and, and unhappiness and whatnot, but a lot of the focus is on those successful teams that are winning and who's going to make it and the positive storylines around the NFL, because this is where they really start to take fruition and, and you know come to the surface. So instead of more news and notes from the NFL, we are going to rush ahead to the New England Patriots game, which is going to be so much more fun to talk about. So before we get into that New England Patriots game, just a quick section of What's on Tap, Flavor Blast Edition. That's right, folks, this is What's on Tap. And you're wondering, why is this a Flavor Blast Edition? Because today I have something that is so super special, it is blowing my mind. And I know every week I have something that's super special and I explain why it's awesome, this and that. But this week I got something that I never had before. This is my first time trying it. It may be my last time trying it because it's really hard to get and I'm loving it. My friend from Colorado, Andrew, is a huge beer connoisseur, and he travels around getting beers, trying stuff all over, and he was able to get one of these beers from a top 20 small batch brewery in the nation called The Vale Brewing, and what I'm drinking is a master, master shredder shredder. The beer so nice, they twice named it twice. Master, master shredder shredder. That is not a joke. That is the real name, and it is sweet. It's a wheat-based IPA. They make all year, super easy drinking. Full of flavor. It's the double dry hopped version, which they say is even juicier than the other. I've never had the other, but I believe it. And it is awesome. It's the exact type of beer that I like. Super smooth, super juicy. It's got like a yellow-orange haze. Almost looks like you're drinking orange juice with like a white foamy top. Um, It's what I'm into. And I actually poured it into a glass because it's a beer so good. I wanted to get it into my special beer cup, but I have misplaced the can. So I actually can't even tell you how much alcohol is in it. Um, gauge me by the episode, end of the episode, see if you can tell, uh, if it's a stronger beer, we'll probably notice if it's a lighter one, perhaps not, but this thing is sweet. I'm going to try to make my way down to Richmond, Virginia at some point, get to the Vale Brewing and get some of the small batch beer. Cause if everything's as good as this one and they won uh, you know, top 20 for a reason, then yeah, it's very likely some of the best stuff you can find. So if I ever get there, I'm certainly going to get it. I don't know. Uh, anytime soon. I've never seen it for sale anywhere. It's small batch for a reason. But holy moly, this one is good, and it's going down way too easy. I'm about to have to get a second beer, but nothing will be able to top this one. So I'm just in that one of the standstill where it's like the next beer is going to suck. Do I even want to bother opening it? I don't know. Maybe I'll just go to sleep when this is over. Um, All right. Master, Master, Shredder, Shredder, The Veil Brewing. Thank you, Andrew. Super awesome. Great what's on tap. Flavor Blast. Moving on. Let's get into the New York Jets and New England Patriot matchup of this week. This was the first of their two matchups. I don't know why the NFL put them both at the end of the season like this in this range. Thank God we're not playing for the playoffs because it would really suck to be like 
one of those six and five teams right now. Not that it would suck. It would be obviously better than where we are. But imagine being a six and five team or five and five team going into that week and then losing to the Patriots and then having to play them again at the end of the year. Basically them being the reason that you don't make it. That would suck. Uh, hopefully next year they, they space it out a little bit better so it's not like the whole end of the season hinging on what happens against a team that we hate so much. But that's what went down. We lost this thing 27-13, to 13, and we held them early on. We did. We played them all right. It was 10-10 to 10 at the half. It was 13-13 to 13 when the Patriots began a drive with four minutes to go in the third quarter. Uh, we were close to scoring with two minutes, uh, like two minutes and 20 seconds at the end of the game. We were in the red zone. Could have made it a one-score game late. I know onside kicks this year have a 9% chance of being a – they have a 9% recovery completion percentage this season which is way down from what it usually is i mean it, usually you have almost no chance but nine percent this year is extremely low so i wouldn't expect the jets to get that back but it was potentially closer than it looked and uh, i know the patriots won this one 27 13 but we gave them a run for their money and we just couldn't execute when it came down to it we couldn't stop the running game and we couldn't get to tom brady that was our defensive issues and then on offense we didn't run the ball enough we couldn't really get it going uh, Josh McCown started getting sacked a little bit later in the game. Receivers weren't getting open deep enough downfield. And uh, the Patriots had nice coverage. We had a turnover. They didn't. They did a couple things right. We did a couple things wrong. And it was a much closer game than the score makes it look like. It looks like they more than doubled us. But when it comes down to it, the Jets played a pretty solid game. And they held them themselves in this thing for most of it. I mean, when you really think about what happened last week against the Buffalo Bills and Matt Barkley, you got to be really excited with how the Jets played Tom Brady. This was one of those games you're thinking the Jets are very likely going to go in and get absolutely obliterated. And the spread was, you know, 12.5 points or so when the, when the game started, and the Patriots beat that. But still, the way the Jets did it, you just had that feeling like, oh my gosh, we are playing them much better than this team. From what we've seen this year, this New York Jets team should not be playing the Patriots this well. Maybe it's a sign of the Patriots being weaker than they've been. Maybe it's a sign of the Jets just knowing their division rival and being able to play that team well, you know, they usually do pay, play the Patriots much better than they should, much better than anybody wants to give them credit for. But, you know, still, we come up short. We're 3-8, and eight, and they're 8-3, and three, and we still have to play them again in Foxborough. We'll see what happens then. Let's go into some of the team stats from this game. First downs, big thing in this one. The Patriots had 25 first down to the New York Jets, 18. Not terrible. Keep in mind, they more than doubled us in points, so... Technically, if the game went, you know, equal to the score, the Patriots would double us in most of these positive categories, uh, in which, which they didn't because, it, you know, whatever. Uh, passing first downs, the Patriots had 12. The Jets had 12. The difference came on rushing first downs where the Patriots had 11 and the Jets only had four. This is a game that I feel like the Jets got away from the run way too early. They never brought it back. The game was way too close to run the ball. What did they run it? 16 times, 15 times, and a few of those were Josh McCown. It just felt like, we were running pretty well. Our percentage was pretty high. Holes were there somewhat. We had a couple nice chunk plays running the ball, but when you run it that few times in a game that's that close, you're trying to keep Tom Brady off the field, grind the clock down a little bit. Josh McCown's throwing the ball 45 times. It just didn't really make sense, and I know they did play well, so you can't give them too much grief because maybe if they'd ran the ball more, they would have played a much worse game. Maybe they were just thinking every time we run first down, second down, we get one yard, two yards. It's not really what I'm saying because we always end up in a third and seven throwing the ball, and that sucks. Maybe they were like, let's get away from that and throw it on first down, throw it on second down. That's why the Jets were much more happy with play action and, and passing the ball and shotgun and early downs. But that's not really what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I, I wanted the Jets to do more creative type running, more outside looks, more pitches, more cutbacks, uh, things where they're not just going straight up the two-hole, maybe not going out of shotgun all the time, uh, where this guy can't get a full head of steam, maybe going single back. 
running things like that. We don't have a fullback, so we can't run any eye form, things like that. But we just don't have a lot of looks for our, our running game. It seems like we're always running the same three, four run plays. They're not that successful. Sometimes Isaiah Crowell can bounce it outside or bounce it back inside when he goes outside, and sometimes he can't, and that's basically whether or not the play is successful or not. It has nothing to do with the play call and the block or anything like that. It's just hit or miss. And at this point, it's... Uh, it just wasn't enough in this game to get there. We had four first downs rushing. They had 11. That was a big difference there. We both had two first downs from penalties. So even there in a, a pretty disciplined game from the New York Jets, we played a similar amount of plays. The Patriots did have 498 yards to the New York Jets, 338 yards. They had a lot more. Um, we had similar amount of drives, but they were getting 7.4 yards per play. We were getting 5.5 yards per play. That's a big difference there. Rushing yards, 215 for the Patriots, 74 for the Jets. I mean, what do you expect? Penalties in the game. The Patriots had 11 for 105 yards. That's part of the reason the Jets were in this game because for once, we actually won the penalty game. We only had 8 for 47. They had more than twice as much penalty yardage and three more penalties. We had a couple long ones that really helped our drives get going. They had a uh, roughing the passer against Josh McCown, which helped us. They had a holding on a deep ball that was thrown. I was hoping for pass interference. We got a holding there, kept a the drive going. Um, the Patriots, when you run the ball for 200-plus yards, Versus 70 yards, of course, you're going to have time of possession, but Pages had 34 minutes time of possession, Jets 25. One of the big differences in this one was the turnovers. For another week in a row, the Jets have not forced a turnover, and it's like the longest streak in Jets history, the longest streak in the league. It's been like five weeks since we've registered a single turnover after starting this year with a crazy positive margin of giveaway takeaway. And now it's just all going to hell. We had an interception throw in this game. Josh McCown tried to you know, chuck a ball deep that was just picked off by Gilmore, but... Patriots had none. No fumbles, no interceptions, and the Jets didn't get any short fields. They didn't get any extra possessions from that. Uh, the Patriots took care of the ball, and it's something that Tom Brady focuses on. You heard him in a post-game interview. He said, you know, it's not really the way he wants to play all the time. Being conservative and careful with the ball, sometimes he wants to take more shots, but he knows the Patriots are like 125 and 15 when the Patriots don't have a turnover. And so if Tom Brady can keep the ball from getting to the New York Jets players' hands then he's got basically a 90-plus percent chance of winning the game. So he's going to take those odds every time. He's not going to force the ball. We didn't get any interceptions in this one. Again, it's just week after week. Of course, our losing streak is connected to this lack of turnover streak. There's a huge correlation there. If we can't get it going against the Titans and you know the teams moving forward, Texans, Bills, Packers, and Patriots, then we're not going to have any, any luck winning any of these games. And like I said, I'm not playing this season to try to make a, a higher draft pick. I'm playing this thing to try to win games and try to get these players as talented, ready, and, and good to go for next season as possible. So for me, getting those turnovers and, and trying to find a way to help the Jets win the game is extremely important. The Jets, uh, you know, it was a decent game. It was a decent game. The biggest issue in this one was no pass rush on Tom Brady. We just couldn't get it going. Um, everybody knows to beat the Patriots, you got to knock Tom Brady around a little bit. We did get four quarterback hits on him. That's not enough. We need more than that. Zero sacks. Josh McCown was only sacked twice. All right. It's not bad. But the Jets have to get more. They got to get more pressure. The Patriots, if the Jets were sending pressure, the Patriots were beating it with a run. If the Jets were, you know, dropping back, dropping people, Tom Brady had all the time in the pocket to throw the ball deep. It just felt like whatever the Jets were doing, the Patriots were countering it perfectly. And uh, I know they only scored their, their 27 points in this one, so it wasn't like they just shredded us, but 498 yards, and they did it pretty effortlessly, especially in that that end of that game, that second half. Sony Michelle was running all over us for over 100 yards. Tom Brady was completing the ball all over. No turnovers, getting touchdowns. Gronk, Edelman, even Josh Gordon had a pretty solid game. 
Um, but I'll get into some of that stuff and those uh, individual players and how we defended them as we go. I will go over to the New York Jets players and how they performed. In this game, we did not have my favorite player, Sam Darnold, most of our favorite player, because he is the future of this team. Instead, we played Uncle Josh, the oldest player on our team, who came in here and played a better week than he played last week, but still, it was not enough to beat the uh, our rival. I don't know if we're even the Patriots' rival anymore after having so many games like this against them and being so out of the picture for so long. Do they even remember that we're good? Their rival is probably like the Steelers, the Chiefs, you know, teams that they play in the playoffs and stuff like that. I don't know what we mean to them, but it's our rival. And Josh McCown went 26 of 45. So not great completion percentage, but he was chucking the ball all over. I can't believe that they threw the ball 45 times. I mean, that's just a ton for a team that has, you know, typically this year not throwing the ball like that at all. I don't remember the last time Sam Darnold went out there and threw the ball 45 times. Josh McCown threw for 276 yards, which is not that many on, you know, 45 throws. But 6.1 yard average. He did have a touchdown, throw to Jermaine Curse. He had a pick. Sacked twice, lost 12 yards, 73.9 quarterback rating. It was an okay game. It's about what you expect from Josh McCown at this point in his career. Coming in, he's a backup quarterback. He's not as uh, used to these guys. Our offense is struggling. We're moving people on the offensive line around. Our weapons are weak. You know, we don't have Bilal Powell or anything like that. He's not totally used to playing in this offense on this team. He's been a backup all season behind Sam Darnold. And sure, he's had plenty of practice reps since Sam Darnold had that boot on. But still, you know. This just is not a guy that's ready to come in and take the league over. He's more of a coach that can play. And he did that. It just wasn't quite enough in this one. And you can't blame him because that's about what you'd expect from him. He is making $10 million. But a 73 quarterback rating against the Bill Belichick defense in a game against the Patriots when your team is 3-7, and seven, it's just not the end of the world. It wasn't enough to win the game. It wasn't the end of the world, though. I'm going to go over to the running game. Isaiah Crowell ran the ball the most times tied with Eli McGuire on the team with six carries. Six carries. Isaiah Correll ran the ball six times for 30 yards. It's a five-yard average. He had a 12-yard run in there. He wasn't stopped for negative yardage very many times, if at all. Elijah McGuire, he ran the ball six times for 19 yards. That's a 3.2-yard per carry average. I think it was the first game where Elijah McGuire played and had a lower average than Isaiah Crowell. But 12 carries between those two guys, your two lead backs, in a game that's 13-13 to in the third quarter? The Jets aren't turning the ball over. It's not like we were, you know, shooting ourselves in the foot and taking away drives and things like that. It's not like we were having tons of penalties. We did have eight more than you'd want. But they only ran the ball six times between the two guys, six times each. And then Josh McCown, he ran the ball three times. He had 25 yards, which was an 8.3-yard per carry average, and he had these two awesome first downs when he was running um, two big ones to keep drives going. At the point in the game when they happened, it was extremely important for the Jets, but 25 of the New York Jets' 74 rushing yards came from Josh McCown, and that's not what you expect from a 40-year-old quarterback. You're talking about 49 total yards between your running backs in this game. You're trying to keep Tom Brady off the field. You know he's a weapon. You know he's going to find ways to score the ball when he has the ball in his hands. That's why he tries not to turn it over, because if he has the ball, he does well. I don't know why you're not trying to run the clock down a little bit more. I know I don't want them to run first and second down through the one and two hole like they've done over and over. I agree that they should have changed up the play calling a little bit, but I don't think that means they shouldn't run the ball at all. Uh, anyways, receiving, the receiving game was a little bit better because when you throw the ball 45 times, you get 276 passing yards, and for once, the New York Jets have somewhat tolerable receiving numbers. When you look at it on paper, you're like, all right, at least these guys are getting over 50 yards, a few of them. 
Quincy Nunma, he led the team with 73 yards. He had four receptions on four targets. He's healthy right now. He's playing well. He had a 41-yarder. Uh, this is like the first time he's really been playing last week and this week with Josh McCown since he was injured last year and Josh McCown didn't play at the beginning of this year. Uh, they're starting to get a little bit of a chemistry. And what's biggest for me is that if Quincy Noon was playing like this and he's playing healthy and he can close out the year like this, he's a guy we have to resign. He's not under contract next year, but we don't have any receiver except for Sharon Peak under contract next year. I beat this like a dead horse in the last episode. I'm going to keep doing it as the season goes on, I'm sure. We've got only Sharon Peak under contract. We need to get receivers. We'll probably get Robbie Anderson back, but still, you know, he's hit or miss. He's a guy that's got a limited route tree. He's got a specific thing that he's good at, but you still have to have other guys across the field that can do well. The free agent class is not that strong. Quincy Nunwa is easily one of the best free agent wide receivers in the league if he's healthy. So if he is, and we can make sure that he is for the rest of the season, maybe that means he doesn't play quite an aggressive style game. Maybe he doesn't take as many hits. Maybe he doesn't always go for the extra blow on the guy. Maybe he goes down a little bit more. You know, I don't want him to play like Julian Edelman and Wes Welker. No, don't be a total wimp, but maybe don't take the extra hits if you don't have to here and there. Run out of bounds every once in a while. Not all the time. Just save yourself some hits. And if he can stay healthy, get that guy back. Four targets, four catches, 73 yards. Love the Jets team. 18.3 yard average. Looking aggressive. Feeling good. Looking good. Good game from Quincy Nunwa. Then Jermaine Curse. He was targeted 12 times in this one. Josh McCown, basically his favorite target from last year. Most uh, most like reliable, effective, consistent player for Josh McCown last year. Jermaine Curse has had some questionable last few weeks where he's played poorly. And he did get 12 targets, only completed half of those with six receptions. But he had 66 yards. He had a touchdown on a really nice play. He had a really nice one-armed grab to get a first down on a play um, that Josh McCown threw poorly. He had a better game than he's had. Jermaine Curse is one of those guys. He's getting older. You don't know if you want to re-sign him, but when you look at what's available next year, there's not a ton of options. So I'm not saying you bring him as your number two, number three receiver, but maybe you get him in there as your four, your five, a guy that can play well, security blanket, because you know we've seen Deontay Burnett play for the Jets this year. We've seen Andre Roberts out there on offensive downs. Sharon Peak playing, fumbling. These guys get out there. Terrell Pryor was getting a bunch of minutes before. He's not on the roster anymore. But just because you're a fourth or fifth receiver doesn't mean you're not going to get action on the team. It doesn't mean that your minutes aren't significant. He may be a guy that you bring back on a team-friendly deal, a veteran presence, good guy who plays well most of the time, understands how to do it, and, uh, you know, it's just maybe a bargain player that the Jets can use to fill a hole. He might have to play special teams, which I'm not sure he's comfortable doing, so we'll see how that all pans out. Below that, your next best receiver with 57 yards is the boy, one of the hottest players in the New York Jets right now, Chris Herndon, the rookie out of Miami, this guy's awesome. He's becoming one of my favorite players on the entire team, on the offense for sure. It seems like one of those positions that Mike McCagden finally got right, Chris Herndon. The guy has seven catches for 57 yards on eight targets. It's nothing incredible, but seven catches for this guy, getting open time and time again, only eight targets, not dropping the ball, not overthrown to, not forcing it to him, just getting it to him when he's open, and that's basically seven times. 57 yards, 8.1 yard average to a tight end who's getting nice hits, running well with the football, uh, they're finding him when everybody goes deep. He's going short and running up with the football after the catch. When they cover him deep, he's able to make the play. I like this kid. He's our best tight end by far on the roster right now. I was thinking that when the season came in, I thought Clive Walford in preseason was going to be the best on this roster. He didn't make the team. And I was like, all right, Neil Sterling is probably your best tight end right now. Neil Sterling is basically phased out of this offense. He's been injured and and on and off the, the roster you know, due to injury reasons. But he's basically been moved down below Jordan Leggett recently, and Chris Herndon has putting himself on top of this entire thing best tight end on the team a guy that we have next year and for a bunch more years one of the youngest players on the team one of the most team-friendly contracts on the team 
He's been healthy. He had injury risks uh, coming out of college. That was one of the reasons that he was drafted later, they said. Um, I didn't see it. I didn't think he was going to be a great player. I think I said it on this podcast. I wasn't sure why they drafted him. I didn't think that he was the guy to replace Jordan Leggett and you know Eric Tomlinson, this tough tight end group that we have. And is What's Chris Herndon even going to be able to do in his first year? We've had really bad luck with tight ends over the years. You know, The only guy that had any real semblance of success was like Dustin Keller. And that guy was not the type of tight end that I really want my football team to build around. Chris Herndon is a much bigger body and plays a much more physical game, and it's more the style that I'm looking for on a tight end. You know, maybe you want to have one athletic tight end out there, but you want to have a big guy as well. Chris Herndon is not the biggest. He's not a true blocker, no, but he's closer to being that than a guy like Evan Engram or Dustin Keller would have been. I just want to say this real quick because Austin Severian Jenkins was our tight end last year, and a lot of people wanted Mike McKagan to re-sign him. The New York Jets actually offered him an $8 million contract over two years, $4 million a year, and Austin Severian Jenkins said no. And a lot of people were like, what the heck, how could he say no? He had all these uh, these issues coming in, the Jets gave him a chance, and he played well for them. We want to get him back. Maybe they should raise the offer, they should go up. I didn't want him because he'd lost some games for us, and I thought that he was uh, an inconsistent player who'd had some issues here and there. Fumbled the ball against the Patriots, lost a game, fumbled another ball. Either way, I hadn't been a Safarian Jenkins fan. He had 50 receptions on the total last year for the entire season. 50 receptions, 357 yards, and three touchdowns. That's Austin Safarian Jenkins last year. The guy that everyone wanted to re-sign because it was one of the, finally the tight end was relevant on the New York Jets again. 50 catches, 350 yards, three touchdowns. This year, Chris Herndon so far has 26 receptions, 314 yards, and three touchdowns. You tell me right now. Chris Herndon's making, you know, $3.5 million less. He's three, four years younger. He's healthier. He has no issues, no baggage. He's a good kid. And most importantly, he's ascending. He's getting better every week. He's becoming more involved in this game plan every week. And with how few weapons we have and how weak our offense has been and how unattractive this Jets offense is to an offensive coordinator and head coach, even though we've got Sam Darnold, Chris Herndon is one of those guys that we're going to be building around. And finally, we have a player where it's like, okay, there's a tight end right there. We can go to war with him. Just super impressed. He's a fourth-round pick, a guy that, you know, a a position in the draft the Jets have been poor at year after year. Uh, Tight end, a position the Jets have basically not used or had any success with after the year after year. You know, we got Jordan Leggett on the roster. Um... I guess we'll move on to him. You want to talk statistically, Jordan Leggett, he had two catches for 24 yards. He had four targets. He caught half of his targets, 24 yards. He did have one long gainer who was like, holy moly, was that Jordan Leggett? I cannot believe it. But even as my dad says, even a blind squirrel finds a nut from time to time. So Jordan Leggett did get open, caught the ball. Josh McCown found him. Lucky for Jordan Leggett. Um, maybe he'll get 100 yards in his career by the time the season's over. Robbie Anderson, he had two catches for 22 yards. A weak game from him. He had five targets in this one. They were throwing the ball to him deep. He's just not been able to get deep much this year and get open. And when he has, the ball hasn't been thrown to him. It's been a really struggling, struggling, troublesome year for the restricted free agent who the Jets will likely bring back. But, you know, it's not like his play is the reason they're going to be bringing him back. It's going to be lack of a better option and hopefully get into a team-friendly deal, a guy that you've had in your locker room. You like the guy. You know he's kind of a, kind of a knucklehead here and there, the way, you know, he talks to the camera and celebrates and things like that. But he's been a homegrown guy, undrafted free agent, good success story from the New York Jets, came from green and white, and 
He had some success for us last year. You got to think that if the New York Jets can get an offensive line, they can get protection together. They get teams loading more people in the box because they're actually afraid of the run, and they're chucking the ball around the field to guys like Chris Herndon and some other wide receiver options. Every once in a while, they forget about a Robbie Anderson. He gets loose deep, and you hit him in stride, touchdown. Those are the things that were happening last year when Josh McCown was throwing it to him and Robbie Anderson had his best year with the New York Jets. We can expect that to happen again. He's still got the same speed. He's not been too injured. Was nicked up a little bit this year, but he should have that same speed. Should be able to get deep. He's good at catching a deep ball. He's just not had the opportunities yet, partially because of blocking, partially because of play calling, the weapons on the field, the quarterback playing, yada, yada. Call it what you will. It's just been a troublesome year for him. Two catches for 22 yards. Not what he wants. Not what we want. Um... And that was the end of the game for him. Then you had your running backs getting involved in this one. Isaiah Crowell actually led the team in catches in the running back game. He had three catches for 30 yards, four targets. Elijah McGuire, he had a catch for seven yards, but he was targeted three times. He actually had a pretty tough drop on a play that could have gone for maybe 20, 25 yards later in the game. It was thrown right between two defenders in zone, and it bounced off his hands. When you saw it in slow motion, you just thought, wow, if he caught that and got a quick first step, he may have gotten a big gain around that. Didn't get it. Would like to see him catch that. He's usually a lot more reliable in the run game. And then Trenton Cannon, he had a catch in this one for negative three yards. It was thrown outside wheel on the left and uh, blown up in the backfield. So that was a pretty uh, pretty lame play, but at least I guess they're trying something new, trying to get some of their weapons, the Swiss Army knife, if you will. That's what some have called him. We don't think that, but, you know, trying to get him involved. So that was your skill position players on the offense. And you got the offensive line. This was an interesting week because we had a couple different uh, different guys playing this week. James Carpenter didn't play. Keep in mind, he's a guy that's not going to be under contract next year, and there's a very good chance he's not going to be coming back to the Jets roster next year. I've said it. I think a lot of people agree. The interior offensive line is one of the biggest issues on this team. we got to fix the interior offensive line. Part of that is James Carpenter. He's one of those guys. It's Brian Winters, and it's Spencer Long. Those are the three players who have been starting consistently for the Jets this year. James Carpenter is not under contract. Brian Winters is. And Spencer Long is. He plays guard and center, and his contract is able to be worked out to get him out of here with basically having no dead money. So we'll see what they want to do with him. So what do they do in this game? They start Jonathan Harrison at center because his snaps have been fine, and he's been playing a decent center. Not great. Not great pass blocking. Not great run blocking. Some penalties here and there. Um, he's not playing poorly. He's not jumping off the page playing amazing. He's just playing okay. A guy that you want to replace, but a guy that maybe can be your backup. He is another contract for next year, so we'll see what they do there. But they basically said, Spencer Long, we don't want you to play. It's not because you're injured. It's not because you're hand. It's because you're just not playing good center, and you're not snapping the ball well. And I don't know if it's mental or if it's physical or what the issue is, but it ain't working. So they shift Spencer Long to guard to fill in for James Carpenter. On the other side, you still have Brian Winters, and then you got Brandon Shell and Kelvin Beecham. Now, Josh McCown was only sacked twice in this game, which isn't terrible. But it was really hard to get a gauge on how this offensive line was doing. I think the pass blocking was pretty good. Overall, Josh McCown wasn't sacked. He had time in the pocket. He moved. He was able to run. There were lanes for him. He wasn't crowded, throwing bad passes all game. Um, His percentage wasn't super high, completing. But he still had time in the pocket. He was able to find guys throughout the field. He did have 270 yards. And I thought he looked, overall, pretty comfortable in the pocket. Guys weren't, like, terribly burned throughout the game. Here and there, yes. But in the run game, that's where we've had our biggest issues in my mind on the offensive line standpoint. It was hard to tell in this game because they only ran the ball, you know, between their running backs 12 times. For me, that's not enough to say, well, Jonathan Harrison was much improved in the run blocking, or Spencer Long did a really great job at guard, or even Brian Winters is finally starting to 
I don't really even care about Brian Winters. I think he's got to be replaced either way. At this point, he's been on this team for too long. If he plays well for the last four weeks, the last thing I need is him to, you know, have a great last four weeks and, and all of a sudden put on the golden handcuffs, right, where you're all of a sudden stuck tied to this player. Like, ah, he's playing so well. Maybe we got to give him another contract, and then he can't do it for you again. That's exactly what happened to Blake Bortles. We don't want to do that with Brian Winters. I think he's got to be replaced. Um, we obviously need to have a different center. It can't be Spencer Long. But is it going to be Jonathan Harrison? Hard to say. And can Spencer Long play guard? We have him under contract if he's good enough to play that left guard position. It's possible that he's just a terrible center because, yes, most of the issues were coming from the snaps. He was blocking poorly as well. Um, I think it was somewhat mental for him. He was maybe focusing so much on the snaps because they'd been so poor that he wasn't quite getting ready to his blocks in time, focusing on the snap more. Maybe you move him over to the guard, he's a little bit more comfortable. But as the season goes on for these last few weeks, I'd like to see James Carpenter continue to sit since he's not part of this Jets' future. I'd like to see Spencer Long start at left guard and get a feel for if the guy can do it or if he needs to be cut. So far, I can't say they did it terrible. Um, the running game was okay. The holes overall, we had an over a four-point yard average running the ball. Uh, overall, there were holes. Isaiah Crowell found them here and there. There just were only tr- 12 runs to gauge it on. We were only sacked twice, so pass pro, solid. That's the offensive line. Let's move over to the defensive side of the ball, where the New York Jets really did hold the Patriots in check for much of the game. They just started running over them late, and it's been the story time and time again. It was the story against the Vikings. It was a story against the Dolphins. It was a story against a bunch of other teams where the New York Jets played well early on, and they could keep the team to minimal points in the first half and play great defense and get stops. By the end of the game, they're on the field so much. They're playing their hearts out. They're not getting any points on the offense. They lose courage. They lose whatever that spark and by the end of the game the team scores one two three more touchdowns and it looks like more of a blowout than it was they held the Patriots close for most of this game and we'll start with the defensive line because the defensive line was a huge issue in this game not only did we not get pressure you only expect so much pressure in a 3-4 defense getting to Tom Brady it's super important it would have been nice to see Leo get back there Henry Anderson have a good game or some pressure up the middle didn't happen in this one but the run the run game was just bad. I mean, the Patriots were blocking well. They had a good scheme set up for this one to beat the Jets. But it just over and over, there were huge gaping holes for Sony Michelle, for James White. And it was tough, tough sledding for that defensive line. They couldn't get anything. They couldn't get off their blocks. The linebackers were coming up to try to get pressure. They couldn't get off their blocks. Jamal Adams is coming up. They're running right at him. He's getting blocked going through his holes. And it was just time and time again. In this game, when you look at it, Sony Michelle ended up having an average of... 6.3 yards per carry. 21 carries for 133 yards and a touchdown. He only had a one. His long run of the game was 33. I think that that's always an important thing to look at when you see high um, averages and high rushing numbers because, you know, is this something with an outlier or is skewed? A lot of the times Isaiah, Crowell, Isaiah Crowell's numbers are like that. But in this one, Sony Michelle, his long was 33. He had 133 yards. I mean, even take that one long run away, he still had 100 yards on 20 carries. It's still over a five-yard average. James White, 9 carries for 73 yards, 8.1 average. This defensive line couldn't stop a thing. They couldn't get off their blocks. They couldn't make tackles in the backfield. They were open holes time and time and time again. Run run defense was very poor from the defensive line. Stats from those guys real quick. Leonard Williams, 3 tackles, no sacks, a quarterback hit. Henry Anderson, 3 tackles, no sacks, a quarterback hit. Steve McClendon, 3 tackles. No sacks, no quarterback hits. Uh, Foley Fadakasi played in this game and played poorly when he did. Uh, he's been a guy that I'm like, why don't the Jets play him at all? He was a draft pick. I'd like to see what he can do. He's been a healthy scratch in every game so far this year. He's from UConn. I'm from Connecticut, so I'm a big fan of him. 
Um, excited when we drafted him. He played in this game. He's number 94, and if you saw him out there, he looked really, really bad in his limited minutes in this game. It was like, holy moly. He didn't register any stats in this one, but he was just noticeably bad and out of position in this one as they kind of ran right through him. So maybe we would rather have Mike Pinnell, Pinnell in there. I'm not uh, not sold on Fuller and Zofadikasi yet. It was just one game, but not a great introduction to the NFL for him. Uh, Nathan Shepard, one tackle. He had a penalty in this one. He did have a quarterback hit. Um, Mike Pinnell had a tackle, no sacks, no quarterback hits. Your defensive line had issues. He had issues. Your linebackers, not much better. I think you're seeing in this one that Frankie Luvu is in there because he can pass rush. He did get a quarterback hit in this game. He played a lot more snaps because Tom Brady, like I said, the way you beat him is you get hits on him, you make him uncomfortable, you make him make some bad throws because pressure. So Frankie Luvu's out there, but you are seeing in this one he is not a good run stopper. He does not play well. They run right at him. He missed a couple plays, shoestring plays that ended up going for, I think, you know, a 30-yarder right on his side, right through his fingertips, uh, running at him time and time again, and just not quite making the play. Uh, Similar to the way that Darren Lee plays, our middle linebacker, who doesn't put a shoulder down on anybody, uh, made a couple plays here and there throughout the game, covered Gronk, got beaten a couple times, had one decent coverage on a ball that was overthrown to Gronk in the end zone. Uh, Darren Lee had one nice tackle on Sony Michelle running outside of the left on a third and four, where... Sony Michelle basically just kind of fell down uh, when he hit the offensive lineman or whatever. I don't really know how he fell, but it wasn't a tackle from Darren Lee. Darren Lee kind of took credit for it, and it looked like maybe it was him, and they showed him on the camera afterwards, but it wasn't. He didn't do anything special there, trust me. Just kind of like right place at the right time. But when it all comes down to it, the linebackers, you know, they couldn't get any pressure in this one. Jordan Jenkins is a guy who's been probably our best pass rusher so far this year. He had a quarterback hit, but three tackles, no sacks. No tackles for a loss for any of these guys I've mentioned so far. It just was was tough sledding, and they ran right through us. And Avery Williamson, you know, he played decent linebacker in this one with 11 tackles. You know, he's, he's your run stopper. He's the guy that's going to get there consistently. Darren Lee gets six tackles, which, you know, nowhere near as much as Avery Williamson. He's playing a middle linebacker, and he's going into coverage. Avery Williamson's going into coverage as well, but Darren Lee, you know, he's got to be more active in a game like this when they're getting through that defensive line more often. Darren Lee's got to be more aggressive getting his shoulder in there. Um, he's not asked to cover on every play. He's open to do run defense a lot of the time on those. It's his read and his zone, and he's got to make the play. He's got to put a shoulder in. I'm tired of him arm tackling. He's a guy that overall I'm just kind of tired of. Um, you know, he had six tackles, and that was it for him. You're not seeing any tackles for a loss from any of these players in the team. The only guy that got a tackle for a loss in the entire game was Trumaine Johnson on a designed, basically backwards throw. Just a screen pass that Trumaine Johnson made the tackle. One of Trumaine Johnson's few good plays in this game, and it was a tackle for a loss, and that was the only one the Jets had. Other than that, no negative yardage plays for this defense, except for penalties. No sacks. No tackles for a loss. Couldn't do it in the run game. Couldn't do it in the pass game. The defense consistently came up short, and they basically did a bend-don't-break style of defense for the whole first three quarters i mean it was 13 to 13 how playing like that with them running the ball down the jets throats like that no negative plays where the jets able to come into this well the patriots had some penalties which definitely helped the new york jets but key times there were a couple players that made really nice plays and you know who it's going to be one guy is playing better than everybody else in this entire team and i'm just going to skip all the other cornerbacks right now and go straight to him because that's jamal adams this guy is playing out of his mind He's the only player playing with extreme energy and passion on every single play, no matter what point of the game it is. I know he's fired up and he's saying crazy things in his press conferences here and there, and it's like, maybe this guy doesn't want to play for the Jets because we've got just this losing culture and mentality and it's not going great. But he's playing amazing football. He's your second leading tackler, again, as he almost always is with 10 tackles in this one. He gets three pass deflections, 
the only three on the entire team. He's consistently covering Rob Gronkowski, playing amazingly when he does. Rob Gronkowski is catching the ball basically anytime anybody else is covering him. And every time Jamal Adams is covering him, doesn't catch it. He knocked one ball loose. He knocked a second ball loose on Gronkowski in the end zone. I mean, it was an incredible game from Jamal Adams. They're bringing him up. They're asking him to basically play a blitzing outside linebacker as well as a free safety as well as cornerback playing against you know a guy like Rob Gronkowski who's almost a wide receiver the way he plays tight end on that Patriots offense they asked Jamal Adams to do everything and he does all of it well how many safeties in the league can you think of that can play up at the line in almost a three-point stance he just plays a, a blitzing outside up at the line Jamal Adams aggressive safety and also can cover a tight end like Rob Gronkowski and have second most tackles on the team I mean, he is our best player. There's no beating around it. There's nobody playing better football on this Jets team than Jamal Adams. The guy should very likely be a pro bowler, but on this Jets team that is so overshadowed by almost every other team in the NFL, 27 of them, it's going to be hard for him to get there. It's going to be really hard for him to get there. Uh, I think eventually when this team gets a little bit better and we're finally getting some more Monday night games and Sunday night football games, primetime coverage where the teams are seeing stuff, people will start voting for Jamal Adams. They'll start getting it, but... Maybe he knows the only way he's going to get attention is if he has these post-game interviews and says some outlandish things and makes headlines saying stuff and getting quotations here and there and wearing flashy outfits, and that's why he does it. Maybe that's why he's got a YouTube channel and he calls himself President Maul and has New Jack City and is all over social media. Maybe because he knows that what he's doing out there, working this hard day in and day out on this team, is not getting noticed well enough. And it's time for us to start saying, yeah, he's amazing and he's doing a great job. I don't want to get to his head. I don't want him to start being, uh, you know, oh, I'm playing great, everyone else is doing this. Then he starts taking plays off and starts getting lazy and says, well, I'll start doing what everyone else does. Then he loses his step or whatever. He needs to keep playing exactly the way he is right now. He needs to keep doing this. Just hold on to it until the Jets get there with him, until we bring in some more talent. Give us a year. Give us a year and a half. We're going to get there with him. We've got Sam Darnold. We've got this thing. He just needs to stick around and keep playing this type of football for us because eventually there are going to be other people that are bringing the same type of, you know, mentality and edge and toughness and just desire to win that he's bringing I think there are some players that are playing really well for the Jets this year I think Mo Claiborne's played really well for the Jets I think Avery Williamson's played really well for the Jets you know you look around so far this year there's not much more you know Chris Herndon on the offensive side Jason Myers is playing amazing football for the Jets I hope to see Elijah McGuire get more active in this offense and keep playing well Sometimes I'm surprised with how well Brandon Shell is doing, a guy that I didn't think would be a very good right tackle when they replaced Brent Quayle with him. But other than that, I mean, we are just in a tough spot, and he's got to hold it out. Anyways, that's what's going on with Jamal Adams. I know I skipped everybody else. We'll go over the other corners real quick. Trumaine Johnson, he's back. He's healthy. He's not playing great. He's uh, thrown on a bit. The receivers, um, Edelman, Josh Gordon, and even Chris Hogan, they all had somewhat decent games in this one. Philip Dorsett did not, but he wasn't thrown too very much. Um, so all your guys, Mo Claiborne, Buster Screen, and Jermaine Johnson did not have awesome games. Marcus May didn't play in this game, and who did they put at safety instead of him? Daryl Roberts. Why? Daryl Roberts is not good at tackling. He's been great in man coverage so far this year. Maybe they thought that he could line up with Gronkowski, but all game it was Jamal Adams, Avery Williamson, and Darren Lee playing against Gronkowski. Daryl Roberts is not a good free safety. He should not have been playing there. I think Terrence Brooks would have done a better job. Um... Rontez Miles, probably not, but Daryl Roberts, he ended up having eight tackles in this game, but from what I saw, it was just not a great game at safety. It was a lot of guys catching the ball in front of him, and he making a tackle late, way downfield, and, uh, you know, 
I don't want to give too much dis- disrespect to Daryl Roberts because he's not a safety. That's not his position, and we have backup safeties on this roster. I'm surprised that Casey Rogers and Todd Bowles opted to use Daryl Roberts in that fashion. He probably would have been more suited to play maybe a cornerback role, which is his natural position, but against the Patriots, maybe you're thinking it's a little weird because they basically play their number two wide receiver as Rob Gronkowski. They play like, uh, you know, Julian Edelman's your option 1A, Rob Gronkowski 1B, or vice versa. And then you've got a Josh Gordon and a Chris Hogan, and that's about it. And then James White, who's going to be, you know, getting a bunch of carries and handoffs and, and throws in the backfield. So maybe it was a, just a sort of strange game plan for Todd Bowles and Casey Rogers, and they thought maybe it's time to try Daryl Roberts at safety, but I think that experiment can be over, and maybe he doesn't go back to that position. That's what we got from our defensive backfield. When it comes down to the return game, Andre Roberts did have a good return game. He had one really nice return that got the Jets in a great field position early, got us across the 35-yard line, so nice to have that in a game where we couldn't get much going on offense. You know, 13 total points, and it wasn't easy getting those 13 points either. One good drive, maybe two, but that return was big for the Jets. Andre Roberts is a guy that's consistently, you know, not every week, so not consistently, I guess, but he's a guy that you can expect if you're kicking the ball to him a lot and he's returning it, he is going to break some. It's not like a JoJo Nats and you're like, could he potentially maybe break one? Or Jeremy Curley where you're like, he's punt returning for five years straight and you're wondering if he can ever have a nice return. Andre Roberts, you're almost expecting. You're like, all right, here we go. It's an Andre Roberts return. He's a guy that I think should come back to this team next year and in his own fashion should return to the team because he's a returner. I think that he's a guy that I'd like to have back. Um, good game from him there. Didn't do much in the punt return game. Punting was fine from Locke Edwards. He had three inside, uh, two inside the 20. He should have had one on the two-yard line, but Trenton Cannon blew it, botched it, dropped it in the end zone, and the Patriots got it at the 20-yard line. That was a play that Locke Edwards had a great punt, and if it wasn't for the special teams doofuses running downfield, he would have had it. Someone else has to play that a little bit better. Maybe Trenton Cannon just isn't quite cut out for special teams on this Jets roster, meaning maybe he's just not quite cut out for this roster. Don't worry, there's plenty of opportunity next year for us to sign new guys. We're talking about it all the time. And then in the uh, kicking game, Jason Myers had another incredible game. He had a 55-yard field goal. He had another field goal in this one. He was 2-for-2, two two, 7 points for the Jets. One of those came on an extra point. He's got, like, the most 55-plus-yard field goals for the Jets ever. It's just an incredible season from him. He did have a miss on an extra point early and a kick a little bit, early, a little bit after that in the season. But overall, like... Holy crap, what a season this guy's having. How is he not getting more credit around the league for what he's doing? He's making everything. They're asking him to kick it from super far, and he's doing it. This is a team that's hard. You know, we keep putting him in positions where it's like, if we're going to score any points this game, it's going to be kicking from the 40-yard line. Can you do it? And he's like, uh, yeah, I can every time. It's awesome. It is awesome. I mean, that kick was probably only good from about half yard further back. But still, when you're making it and you're making 55-yarders like that on the reg, you're a guy that I would like to have back on this team. He really has no glaring weaknesses. He's not kicking the ball out of bounds on kickoffs. He's having fine kickoffs. Um, He's not messing up. We haven't really given him any any opportunities for clutch field goals to try to win a game at the end. But still, he's a guy that is not under contract next year and probably should be brought back. So that's what we got there. We're going to pick our offensive player of the game, and it's going to be Chris Herndon because this guy's seven catches on eight targets for 57 yards, and he's just, again, a part of this offense playing amazing football. You could easily put Quincy Nunwa in that because he was 4 for 4 and led the team in receiving yards. I think you could put it there, but the way Chris Herndon is getting himself involved in this offense as a rookie and catching the ball like that at that high percentage that he is consistently week after week, 
it's just a great I, it part of it is just like the the bias of well he's a young guy who's under contract and we drafted him so it's really important to me that he's good um but still Quincy Nunwa, he's an in-house guy I'd like to get him back let's just keep him healthy defensive it's got to be Jamal Adams who else could it be guy's got 10 tackles three pass deflections covers Rob Gronkowski comes up he's the only guy making plays across the field he's the only guy that seems to be putting a shoulder into anybody hitting hard Jamal Adams was by far your best defensive player this game and yeah Andre Roberts had a good return game Lock Edwards had a couple nice punts but when you make another 55 yard field goal like that and you're two for two you score seven points yourself for a team that only scores 13 points you score more than half of them it's Jason Myers no mistakes you're the player of the game Jason so that's what we had going on this week, New England Patriots versus the New York Jets. Next week's going to be against the Tennessee Titans, who are also kind of struggling. They did just beat the Patriots, but they were a team that was trying to win that division and maybe had a chance to do it, especially when the Jaguars started playing poorly. But they've since ceased it. Texans are playing great football. Colts are on fire. Titans seem to be struggling of recent. Marcus Mariota plays all right here and there. Uh, they've been struggling. They don't have a great offense. They have one of the worst offenses in the league. Uh, maybe the Jets are going to be able to tee up on them a little bit. Can we get sacks? Can we finally get a turnover? Please do a nice defensive play. Somebody out there, you know, earn your keep. Tremaine Johnson, I think he's about due for an interception, wouldn't you say? It's going to be Corey Davis. He's going to be getting a bunch of throws for them. They've got a good new young uh, tight end who's playing pretty well. And Now that Delaney Walker isn't playing, uh, their running backs, Deion Lewis and Derrick Henry, they kind of try to run a two-headed monster there and run that way. Marcus Mariota, we know, he's quick on his feet, so he could potentially run. He's a guy that, uh, you know, he's had his inconsistencies as well as a young quarterback, a little bit of a polarizing player. Not as much as James Winston, but it's like, is he worth, the, you know, giving that big contract to? As you're coming up on his at the end of his rookie deal, and you're thinking to yourself, all right, do we really want to give him a long-term contract? Is he the guy that we build around? Do we need to find somebody else? Is he, you know, tradable? you got to figure it out with him. We're going to see what we can do. They do usually have a pretty tough defense. Malcolm Butler was signed from the New England Patriots and is having a pretty terrible season overall. People have been beating him up all season long, and you start to think to yourself, oh, maybe that's why the Patriots didn't play him in the playoffs. Is it possible that maybe the Patriots knew what they were doing? Maybe they thought Malcolm Butler had a terrible practice. He's been playing poorly all year, and this Eagles team is going to be able to capitalize on it. Maybe they're going to be able to exploit him in the playoffs. I don't know. You know, it still was strange that he didn't play because he was their best cornerback and he got a huge contract from the Titans. Frabel wanted him, an old Patriot. Deion Lewis is over there. You know, they have a bunch of old Patriots and stuff, and they bring over Malcolm Butler, but he's just played terribly this year. It just doesn't look good at all. It's like Nate Solder playing for the Giants. Looks terrible. Like, what a bad left tackle getting all that money. It's kind of crazy. We'll see what we can do against those guys. Hopefully we can move the ball. Um, right now, Sam Darnold, iffy to play, probably won't. Josh McCown had that injury on his thumb. They're like, maybe he's questionable which makes it like, so Davis Webb could be playing with a backup of who? Like, we're not entirely sure what it's going to be yet, but if they couldn't make this game any less interesting for the New York Jets fans, a lot of people are struggling with this right now. They're like, what are we watching for? Sam Darnold's not in there. Josh McCown, you know, he's all right, but he doesn't have any future on this team. Most of these players aren't going to be under contract. The season's over. What are you going to hope to lose so that you can get a better draft pick? We already have our quarterbacks to the draft pick, like, you know, picking sixth versus picking eighth isn't necessarily that important because the position you're going after probably isn't even the same position that the team ahead of you would be going after, you know, one spot up, two spots up. I mean, it all matters, but it's not as important as when you're going for that quarterback and you really need every position as you possibly get because people could be trading up taking your guy. Quarterback's the position people are lunging forward for. But the Jets are predicted to lose this one. There's a very good chance the Jets will lose this one. It's a 4 5 game. In Tennessee, 
on CBS. We usually don't play 405 games. We haven't played very many at all this year, but this one is. So maybe that gives us an advantage because we're not used to doing that. I just hope to get Sam Darnold back for some real serious, healthy play this season. I don't know if it's going to be this week. Maybe it'll be Josh McCown one more week. He's not the worst to watch. There are so many worse backup quarterbacks than Josh McCown. I can definitely tolerate him being back there behind center. It's just not the same as having Sam Darnold, the guy that you want to see grow and mature and learn with these players and, you know, become something right in front of you. That's what we've been waiting for. We finally drafted the guy. We moved up. We got him. And now we don't get to see him play. And, you know, I said when the season started, I wanted him to play 14 games or more. And right now he's on pace. If he plays the rest of them to play 14, if he misses this one, maybe it'll be 13, maybe 12. If he's going to get better, he's got to play minutes. I know we don't have the team around him for him to really be truly successful, but still just getting used to the play calling, being part of the offense, um, reading the defenses, learning the players in the NFL, learning the different schemes of different teams, getting out there and just feeling it all out. It's just, it's an important thing for him. I'd like to see him out there sooner than later. Uh, I did promise that I would do a quick prep for that 2019 season we're all looking so forward to with a couple new free agent options the New York Jets have. I went over a bunch last week in a, a podcast episode right on the time. There's a bunch more. There are a ton more players, but uh, just to do a spotlight on some more guys we could potentially be looking forward to going after. I'm going to focus on the trenches in this one because they're very important, defensive line and offensive line. On the offensive line, you're going to be losing James Carpenter, and you want to replace your center, probably your guard, and maybe even a tackle if you want. Beecham only has one year left on his deal. So a couple options there. I said Roger Saffold a guard last year, but or last week. One of the guys to look at is 29 years old, Matt Paradis, the center for the Denver Broncos. He's actually a pretty good center. 29 years old is not that old for an offensive lineman, and we need a center bad. He may be the best center available in this free agent class if we can't draft one that we love. I mean, free agency comes before the draft, so we got to really fill a bunch of these holes before we get to that draft. Matt Paradise could easily be a guy if the Denver Broncos don't re-sign him to an extension, the New York Jets could be going after. Then when you want to talk about a, an offensive tackle, if there is one available, you know, Darrell Williams of the Carolina Panthers, he's only 27, and he's one of the higher-ranked offensive linemen in the free agent class coming up for next year, so he's a guy that if we do want to use a new tackle over Shell or Beecham, we could potentially look at Darrell Williams of the Carolina Panthers. Now, on the defensive side of the ball... If the New York Jets are running a 3-4, they're going to need a 3-4 outside linebacker. And Jadavion Clowney, as injured as he's been and you know inconsistent, hot and cold, he was a huge guy coming out of college that everybody knew. And it took him a while to get going due to injuries and stuff, but he has had some success in the NFL when he is healthy. He's a 3-4 outside linebacker. It's only 26 years old. The New York Jets could be looking at. Another option would be slightly older, but D Ford from the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't think he's quite as talented as Jadavion Clowney, but he probably plays more consistently than Clowney, so both guys that you could be looking at. Then when you look at the uh, more interior of the defensive line, Grady Jarrett, he's only 26 years old. He's that really talented player for the Atlanta Falcons that a bunch of us remember from the playoffs last year. We had a bunch of sacks, some really good games, had a nice Super Bowl, and Grady Jarrett is a solid defensive tackle. We're going to be losing Steve McClendon, and he's probably too old to resign. You're going to have Foley Fatakasi. We saw some red flags from him this week, and then you're going to have Mike Pinnell in there. So having Grady Jarrett at defensive tackle could easily be a guy the New York Jets are looking at. And then I said, you know, Sheldon Richardson, he's someone that uh, if Anthony Barr gets re-signed and Sheldon Richardson gets left to go, he can easily play defensive tackle. Now you got to think to yourself, are the Jets going to be running a 3-4 or a 4-3? What's the new coach going to do? It isn't impossible for the Jets to try to switch something up and say, all right, maybe we're not going to build this whole thing around Leonard Williams because he's more built for a 3-4 defensive end. Potentially you play him at a versatile, maybe a larger 
defensive end on a 4-3. Maybe try to put him on the interior for a defensive tackle. He's probably not built for either one, but maybe the new coach just says, hey, I'm not building this thing around Leonard Williams. I'm building it around what I think we should do and the players that are available in free agency. So maybe you go after a different 4-3 D end, like a Frank Clark or a, Z- a Ziggy Ansa. Two guys that are currently slated to be free agents, but are both built more for a 4-3 defense. The Jets do not currently run with Todd Bowles and Casey Rogers. So it's kind of a look ahead. Uh, we're going into more and more of this as the season goes on. I'm going to do a more in-depth and thorough one when the season ends, and we're looking forward to free agency and what's going to be coming up, and things are a little bit more clear on who's getting re-signed, what the Jets really need, what we're looking at, and who's our general manager and head coach. When that stuff happens, it's going to be a lot easier to go through that stuff, but it's definitely worth taking a note right now at some of the guys because we don't have a lot more to talk about. This team's not going to make the playoffs. This team doesn't have a ton of players returning. There's not a ton to evaluate right now because we don't have a ton of draft picks on the roster. We don't have a bunch of guys under contract going into next year. Sam Darnold's not even playing. I know it sounds ugly when you line it all up like that. It sounds pretty terrible when you just say one bad thing after another, but trust me, this is all for the greater good, and eventually it's going to work out. We have Sam Darnold in our contract, and he's the guy. This whole thing is going to be built around him, and I can tell you he will be playing meaningful playoff games for the New York Jets and winning them at some point in his career. I can't tell you exactly how soon it's going to be. I thought when we drafted him it was going to be two years. That would mean that we would kind of start getting it going beginning of next year. It's looking like it may not be the case given the current state of the franchise, all these expiring contracts, and just the over overall underwhelming performances we've seen from these players. This isn't, I mean, last year was a bad year, but this isn't that same fiery five-win team we saw last year. This is this new, abysmal three-win team we're seeing this year. we got to get some stuff together, but Sam Darnold's going to get better, and a new head coach and offensive coordinator is going to help that out. That's really what I got for this episode. Uh, there'll be plenty more to go over next week as the New York Jets will finish their game against the Tennessee Titans. Go into that, see where we rank in terms of the draft positioning take a look at the other teams in the nfl who's going to be making the playoffs what to look forward to there because even though we can't watch the jets play those games it's still fun to watch nfl playoffs no matter what team you're a fan of new york jets included still good stuff to watch going to look for some more free agent player that we're going to be looking at and just kind of bracing ourselves for what's to come because there is a lot of change on the horizon for the new york jets and hopefully it is for the better this team can't get much worse than where it's at right now i appreciate everyone for uh you know, supporting this team through all this, you know, listening to this podcast, I know it's tough times. This is going to be so much more enjoyable and more entertaining when the New York Jets are winning and we're playing for something, and even when Darnold's out there. Um, But still, I appreciate the support and you guys tuning in for this stuff, even though there's not much to look forward to, just bearing with it and saying, all right, what's the state of the franchise? What are we looking at? What are we trying to do? Why did we suck against the Patriots? It's tough to do, but it's just part of being a fan of the New York Jets. We've done it for long enough. Anybody who's been doing this for any length of time kind of knows this is This is just kind of how it goes. Thanks for joining me. If you're looking for more bonus coverage, it's going to be at Jets underscore Dan. That's on Twitter. You can engage with me there. Say anything you want. You know, tweet at me questions, things like that. Follow me. Appreciate it. If you rate it and review it, the podcast that is, um, that would be awesome too. It is under the Gangrene Nation podcast title. My episodes are called This is the Jet Life. When you see Michael Nanny is on there, give his a listen too because he's awesome. He's got great stats. A lot of good information, and his podcast is a blast to listen to as well. Um, so we'd appreciate it. And that's all I got. Thank you very much for joining me. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. My name is Spencer Hall. 
My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.